on this episode, Jason ruins my life with Watchmen. Who watches the Watchmen? Who? Who, 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 who? It's actually whom watches the Watchmen. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And this is a podcast about sharing the things you love and deep diving, diving so deep into the reasons why you love them and how they've impacted your life. You did the premise, like, I feel like it's... I know, I know. You re-explain the premise every time. I'm fussing fussing with it. I'm just trying to get it right. Because I feel like a podcast about forcing your friends to like the stuff that you like is pretty, like... Good. Okay. Do we want to go back and take it again? No, it's fine. Let's move okay, on. This will be our take. Then. <laughs> Kelsey, this episode, we are talking about The Watchmen. Is it The Watchmen? I'm sorry. Wa- Watchmen. Kelsey, this episode, we are talking about Watchmen. Watchmen is a 12-issue comic book miniseries that ran from 1986 to 1987, written by Alan Moore and drawn by Dave Gibbons. So it wasn't originally a graphic novel, it was actually 12 comic books? It was released uh, monthly. There were some minor delays, but it most pretty much ran in 12 months. Sorry, and it was colored by John Higgins. And the book, which is a, some would say a graphic novel, I'm not going to say that. No? I'm going to say a comic book, because okay. Alan Moore prefers the term comic book okay. as opposed to graphic novel. Sure. Uh, tells the story of a alternate America in which superheroes have existed since the 1940s. And it takes place in the Cold War era. 1985. 1985. October and November of 1985, specifically, and with o- flashbacks. And it opens with the murder of the comedian, an ex-member of the superhero group of the Minutemen. Yeah. And the mm. plot sort of goes off in a lot of different directions and features, as you said, many flashbacks to earlier eras. But the overarching plot is the uh the mystery of who murdered the comedian and why they murdered him mm-hmm. and how that ties into the ongoing threat of global thermonuclear war succinct and it examines mm-hmm. the the uh, lives of these costumed heroes in after their heyday has passed yes is that about right that seems right yeah that's about right yeah yeah and i think the Important aspects is like the five heroes in question all have very different views on what their moral obligation is Mm. to the world. Highly different. Yeah. Um, But Jason, since you are ruining my life this week, um, when, what, why? (laughs) <laughs> why why watchmen why oh, that's, that's pretty, okay well, that, why, that, um, that narrows it down a little bit um why is this this important to you watchmen is sort of a foundational text in comic books and superhero comics in general i shouldn't even say sort of it definitely is like a uh it defined an era it, it changed the way superhero stories and and sort of comic book stories in general were told or it was part of a, a, a group of, um, I hate the word, uh, seminal. I hate that word. Why? Uh, well, think about what the basis yeah. of that word is and how, mm-hmm. what the, how that ties into 
ideas of you know yeah, masculine dominance uh but it really is it's part of a group of works that were important in turning the tide of uh what comics were and you know redefining what they could be and i also just uh think it's a really good story alan moore is a great writer he's one of my favorite creators uh which is odd because i haven't read all that much of his stuff really <laughs> i was reviewing his bibliography today and he has a lot of work i've actually just never gotten into but i read this and uh v for vendetta one of his other like his other pro- most prominent work from this time you, i might say and some of his other you know collected works from the same time period when i was in high school right when i was really getting into comics so it really sort of um it was it was important for me like it, it formed a, the basis for how i see a lot of comic books and it's just well-told stories and it, it uses the art form in ways that were uh, very new and exciting at the time and today maybe don't seem quite as groundbreaking but still make for very effective storytelling cool and i read it when i was a teenager so you know i look i have to look at it through that sort of uh, yeah. prism of nostalgia to some degree so you're what like 1516? So that set the stage. I'm 15 years old. 15 year old Jason. 1516. I'm very sad and I don't know why. <laughs> Me too. Aww. Um, what do you think, as a 15, 16 year old, like, what do you think drew you to this story then? As opposed to what do you think, what, what parts of it resonate with you now? Are they different? Are they the same? Hmm. Yeah, because all that stuff I just said about how important it was to the medium and the industry, et cetera, et cetera, is stuff I kind of knew when I was 16, but wasn't really aware of. So that's all sort of appreciation I have for it now. At the time, I think I was just compelled by the idea of the world it builds is very much, uh, it's a it's a very rich world, but it's, it's based heavily in like paranoia and, and darkness and it's sort of, when you're a teenager, it's very exciting to see superheroes deconstructed for the first time. And like a lot of things that came uh, after this, the the deconstruction of superheroes as both as characters and as icons and storytelling devices that happens in Watchmen is in service of a story. It's not just for the sake of tearing something down, just for the fun of it, because, oh, look how dumb this was. And haven't we outgrown this, everyone? Isn't it, you know it's not it's not a place of dismissal it's a place of um sincere curiosity into what makes these things work and why we respond to them so well you're saying that watchman watchman yeah watchman okay. is um. and um i mean I, again i don't know if i really knew that when i was 16 but you know you I, a well-told story is is that and i you know mm-hmm. was already interested in the idea of superheroes and comic books so mm-hmm. one told so uniquely like this uh was going to have an impact on me and uh you know, plus, I mean, when you're 16, Rorschach's really cool. Like, he's not, his ideology is pretty terrible, but he's like a... He's got that cool mask. Great, he's got an awesome mask. <laughs> he's a cool, grumbly badass. Is he? He he'd, all, all the most exciting story beats are tied to Rorschach. He says Herm He says Herm. <laughs> Herm. And he's which, which very I, short. He's very short. <laughs> but he's got a cool mask. And he, wears a, he wears a trench coat. And like an ascot. <laughs> yeah, he does, he does wear an ascot. <laughs> so cool. I know. It's, it's also got a lot of like ideas that for a teenager are really sort of mind bending mm-hmm. and sort of, I mean, I, when I first read that, there's an article in one of the, the, one of the fictional articles where someone is, 
saying that they were quoted as saying when the um, Dr. Manhattan, the world's first super-powered... Uh, the world's only. The world's only super-powered, super-powered person first showed person. up. Uh, he said, um, Superman is real, he's American. But the character in this context is, is contesting that he was misquoted and that the actual uh, thing he said was, God is real and he's an American. And the implications of that like gave me a minor anxiety attack <laughs> when I was 16 reading this book. I bet. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's and just the idea of like, you know, darkness and cynicism injected into a, a traditionally superhero type world is again sort of on a novel level very appealing to a teenager i think it's also like um dr manhattan is the only super powered person who apprehended super ha- superpowers through accidental means um everyone all the other quote-unquote heroes are vigilantes basically yeah the other major well every other superhero character yeah or sort of vigilante hero character, but particularly the main ones, which are Night Owl, Rorschach. Rorschach? Rorschach? I always say Rorschach, but I think it's actually Rorschach. I think there's another R in there that I'm always missing. So Rorschach. apologies for everyone if that really upsets you. That's probably going to keep happening. <laughs> and uh, um, Silk Spectre 2 mm-hmm. and Adrian Veidt, a.k.a. Ozymandias. Yeah. So those are the five primary characters that we sort of follow through this world. But yeah, he's the only superpower character, but he's also... Sort of in a way that, like, I I don't know. I n- did not read comic books growing up, so I don't have, um, like, a lot of insight. But I, I feel like in his uh, gaining of powers, he loses sort of his humanity in a way that most traditional superheroes don't. Um, and that gives him a very interesting opposing perspective to the other five um people although i would say that unfortunately silk specter 2 does not really get a perspective other than being sad which is upsetting because she's the only girl (laughs) she does just get sort of bounced around from like one man to another one yeah it she like she's there to be like an emotional beat i think in all these male stories and that's yeah Super upsetting to me. She has her own story, which she, is that she, her mom is sort of an overbearing stage mom type. Yeah, and it, that it, she discovers that her father was the comedian. Yeah. Spoilers. Um, spoilers. But uh, so I think that story about her relationship with her mother is present. It's not as well developed as it could have been. That could, I think yeah. could have been more. To um, sort of his both credit and discredit, she's only in there because Alan Moore was sort of breaking down these uh, characters and realized that they should probably have a woman in there somewhere. <laughs> So that sort of explains. He's trying. He, he tried. He, he, Maybe it's the 80s, so. <laughs> yeah, he's gotten a lot better about that now. I mean, this yeah. is 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like 30 years ago. Oh, no. I'm mm-hmm. getting older. <laughs> We're all getting older. Alan Moore's going to die someday. Oh, no. But I'm not. Never. I'm never going to die. Um, okay. Crisis resolved. Okay. Um, yeah. I can see how that sort of like cynical undoing of the superhero paradigm would resonate with a depressed 16 year old i also when i was a teenager had this weird thing where i was obsessed with the idea of living in in the cold war era oh i mean i i wanted to live like in like the 30s in 
the United States. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. For, <laughs> or like the 20s. For young people especially, but for all people in general, the idea of wanting to live in a different time than you were born into is yeah. not unusual. No. But I was very specifically focused on like, I would have done so well in that atmosphere of, of paranoia of, of paranoia <laughs> and tension and the threat of total destruction of the way of uh, our way of life. In, in scare quotes there, obviously. Yeah. But this idea of like a constant threat from an outside force. And it wasn't until I was like maybe 20, 21 that I realized, oh, I did grow up in that era. I didn't do great. Not that era, but an era of like... Paranoia? Yeah, the era of post 9-11 like... Oh, yeah. Terrorism yeah. is like... It's like it's, it's a different beast from the Cold War entirely, but it's... Yeah. You know, I, I was sort of... It's it's less uh, physical, like, we didn't have to run, like, bomb drills or anything, but, like, there was very much a overarching, like, you could be attacked at any second. It was an era of, <laughs> of paranoia. Yeah, so I sort of maybe was responding to that in this as well, because it's about, like, the threat of nuclear annihilation, which for some reason to me as, as a teenager seemed very uh, worth considering. Well, you know... As a 27-year-old, I'm scared about it now. Well, now, well, now it's no longer fun because I actually have an actual life. <laughs> yeah. And the destruction of that life would be, is not a thing to be just like Roman idly. It's not a thing I, to romanticize. Romanticize or just idly considered yeah. as, as a philosophical possibility. It's would be actually kind of a bummer. Be a super bummer. <laughs> you I heard would, it here first, folks. Super destruction bummer. Destruction of the world by thermonuclear apocalypse. Super bummer. <laughs> We'd both be dead. Yeah, everyone would be dead. That's the whole. I mean, point. that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, I should, you might be saying if we're thrown into some sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland where the strong must fight for survival, we would also both. We be would dead. also both be dead. Yes. Almost immediately. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> Kelsey. Jason. Uh, How did you feel about this? The first comic book you've ever read. Well, I read Viva Vendetta, so if he doesn't like calling them graphic novels, then this is the second comic book I've ever read. Oh, you really? I, I, I was teasing you because I knew you read Viva Vendetta. Is that the only other comic book you've read? Well, I started New 52. No. Because we were going to do that. It's sort of a deleted scene for the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, we want, I wanted to do an episode about comics because we hadn't done one yet. And it's mm-hmm. like a whole, it's a medium. And it's mm-hmm. a thing like I am less passionate about than i was when i was younger but still like have a lot of interest in and a lot of connection to mm-hmm. and we originally were trying to do one about uh the new 52 no no we it wasn't the new 52 it was just, just 52. 52 just 52 yeah the, which is even an even worse idea than the new 52 <laughs> for uh, like us here's us here hey you wanted to start into comics here's the most confusing possible series yeah yeah a series about like like the lesser known like dc characters on adventures of varying quality and relevance um, yeah, so I think when we were talking about it, I think I, because I, I don't really know the medium, I didn't really get a lot of the, like, sort of format, the revolution, the revolutionizing of the format. I liked the story. I thought it was a good, if confusing at times, story. Um, Can I ask, did even not knowing, like, that the way the panels and the story itself the way the art is laid out even not knowing that that was unique or groundbreaking in some ways mm-hmm. did it did it do you feel like it, it affected you at all because like i found like even when i was younger like the there's something that i have a hard time describing 
which is not good for a, a, a podcast about cultural criticism. But uh, the way everything is laid out, almost entirely in the nine-panel grid, yeah. like that's the primary way they tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it casts everything in sort of the same degree of importance, mm-hmm. but not really. But also, there's this sort of attention to that, like. Well, I think because it's claustrophobic and kind of eerie the way it's all it keeps repeating. I think because most of the pages are laid out in that fashion, that the pages that aren't become more important. Um, the pages that that look different stand out more. As far as like the art, that was those were the pages in which I found myself like much more attached to the art because I didn't love the art. Um, I just I had some issues with the way that people were depicted just because I I kept losing track of who was who and and there is a lot of jumping around in, in, in different timelines and if you different timelines and different like looks for the people and, and if it's difficult to track who is who they can be very off putting yeah yes. and and I can see that absolutely the artist also is like very inconsistent with aging like. I couldn't tell like when people were older and when they were younger until it was textually like explained. But like the sort of like more artistic um, like chapter opening panels were always very compelling and like, I don't want to say pretty, but like interesting, well composed. Um, yeah, I think like as as a... From a technical standpoint, I didn't love the art because I had it didn't contribute to the story. Like it didn't help me follow the story, but it was parts of it were very like compositionally pleasing. That said, the story was good. Um I don't know, I was like kind of a little let down at the end, but um but like I guess I can see why it needed to end that way. But what, was, what, what, what let you down about the ending? I don't know. It just seemed like it was a little bit Dusa's Machina. I don't know. Like it was just like it's 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 entirely not that. I know it's not, but like it's, I'm like I'm like he invented an alien. Really, the complexity of Osmandius's plan <laughs> kind of threw me off, <laughs> which I guess is what it's supposed to do. But I don't know. I, mean, I also I think it didn't help that I really wasn't rooting for like Dan and Lori at all because I just didn't I don't know I just didn't like their relationship. <laughs> yeah, I don't know to what degree you're supposed to. Right? But you you brought this up uh while you were reading at the in the issue of like relatability. Yeah. Like you're having trouble engaging with the story because you couldn't relate to any of the characters. Yeah. And some of that is, is a failure of, you know, not including more female characters, which yeah. is a problem. We're so close. In this and in many other ways, uh, many other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't think necessarily you need to relate to these characters because you're not really sort of, I don't know. I think that's uh, the other thing is like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to get out of this, like, as a moral or a statement or a... I think it's less supposed to be a moral or a lesson and more of just an interrogation of what heroism is. Because Adrian, Adrian is the villain. Yeah. Because he, like, he wipes out millions of people. Yes. But he also... Like, With a giant sa- kaiju vagina <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> but he also saves the world. Yeah. So, eh. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Does that make it okay? 
like it's built it's piece built on a lie which is hinted at the very end of the story that it might unravel very soon yeah um but like and that that that's an age-old you know conundrum about yeah. you know sacrificing the few to save the many mm-hmm. but it's it's putting it in a superhero context it was is i think still interesting and mm-hmm. was radical at this point in time I don't want to say it was the first story to be like, what What if superheroes happened in the real world? But it was definitely one of the first. Yeah. I certainly can't say I fault you for not rooting for Dan and Lori to get together because there's nothing to root for in their relationship. Like, it's, it's basically like just a sex thing. Yeah. <laughs> like they both, you know, are unfulfilled in their lives and they team back up and start, you know, beating up crooks together and they have great sex. They get off on it. Yeah. And that's... You know, I mean, they're still together by the end of the book, which implies that they sort of have... They look like totally different people, though. They're in disguise, Kelsey. They're yeah, in but disguise like, at the end of the book. You should be able to draw them that they look like themselves still, even if they're in disguise. I don't understand you, Kelsey. First, people don't look enough like who they are, then they look too much like who they are. Wait, I think I got that backwards. I, my, my, my only complaint the whole time has been they don't look enough like who they are. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That tracks. No, you, you're, that's consistent. Um, yeah, I, 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 there were some sort of storytelling conceits that I was confused by. Like what? The whole pirate comic book narrative. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Tales from the Black Freighter. Yeah, do, do tell. Yeah, so... Um, what you're describing is the points at which uh, inserted randomly, not randomly, but kind of seemingly randomly into the <laughs> book are selections from a comic book that one of the other characters is reading mm-hmm. about a guy who is shipwrecked, basically, and has to, like, try is trying to make his way home before the an evil ghost pirate ship arrives at his home and kills everyone. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't love that, honestly, either. It feels like padding. I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand what it's supposed to bring to the narrative. I The idea behind it, as I Is understand it. Is like it like sort of a poetic description of what's happening in those scenes? It's supposed to parallel, it seems like in specific scenes, what's happening to particular characters. Yeah. And overall, it's sort of meant to parallel um, Adrian's journey mm-hmm. overall, I think. In the, in the, in the quest to save uh, people, he ends up... Damning himself and killing a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, but I think, and 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 all sort of a universe world building level, mm-hmm. it's meant to be a reflection of the idea that because superheroes are real in this universe mm-hmm. and because people don't like them, superhero comics don't exist yeah. or like they're not popular. Yeah. So instead, to to fill that void, Alan Moore decided that people would be list, uh, people would be reading pirate comics, pirate comics and like space comics and yeah. like adventure comics, but particularly pirate comics. Yeah. Which I guess seems possible, but yeah, I, but I, I get, so I mean, you, and it seems like you get what's happening or what's supposed to be happening with those yeah. pa- pages, but it, I don't think it, it takes me out of the story yeah, more than it puts me It makes you, in it. it slows you down a lot. Yeah. That, that was always my impression of it. And maybe I'd appreciate it more now, but you have probably to go, not. Cause there's like the, you know, the nine box grid and in each box there's like narrative story. From the pirate comic, but also dialogue from the scene that's happening. Oh, yeah. And you have to go back and forth and it just like, and most of it's it's dialogue from the, like the newspaper man who kind of doesn't make that much sense a lot of the time anyway. 
So. Well, he's he's a man on the street. Yeah. It, the one thing that really took me out of the whole experience is when they used a real photo in one of the sort of written asides. Yeah, that's really weird. It was really weird. I, <laughs> I have to assume that that's not a detail that, that um, Alan or, or, or Dave put in there on their own. Yeah. That some other editor was involved in that. Because it's really weird. Well, because it's like Joe Orlando is the person who is a person in the universe of Watchmen, but I think is also a real person. <laughs> it's weird because there's other real people in the book of Watchmen, but they're all drawn in the comic. Yeah, like Nixon's in there. Yeah. Ford. Imagine if every time Nixon showed up in Watchmen, it was just a picture of Richard Nixon. <laughs> that would be upsetting. Yeah. I, I think it does lose some of it because I don't know the sort of um, tropes and stuff that it's breaking down it does lose some value for me when I'm reading it because it felt so much just like exposition until like the last two chapters um, like other than the sort of like asides with Rorschach being like there's a mass killer or whatever it was all just like origin story for each of these heroes and we didn't really get, like, present-day story until, like, the end. I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I think there's present-day developments, like, early on, like, in the second or third chapter, they have the comedian's funeral, and that's when John sort of begins to decide, Dr. Manhattan, that he's, like, he's he's being tricked by Adrian to thinking he's given a lot of people cancer. And that's sort of when he makes his decision to leave Earth. I mean, his sort of role in the story is very, like directly impacted by like whether or not he decides to return to earth and get involved in what's happening or not yeah and his role ends up being you know he doesn't stop anything but mm -hmm. he is involved in the in the, in the climax mm -hmm. and, and the the resolution and then you know uh, rorschach's whole psychosis driving him to trying to dig up this mystery even though there's nothing he doesn't know mm -hmm. really what he's doing is all is important and him going to jail happens in like episode uh, I keep calling them episodes in like issue six. I don't know, but like I feel like him going to jail was all a premise for his origin story. I mean, it's it's true that like the. the but I mean, I think that's what it maybe what I'm missing that maybe this superhero thing is about origin stories. Like maybe that's what I'm missing. Yeah. I agree that the main engine of the plot is more just an excuse to explore this world. Mm -hmm. Which like I don't hate it. <laughs> I am um, good. <laughs> I actually would have liked to explore the world from other other points of view. I know. You like, may you may yet get that chance. Actually, you already have that chance if you want to uh <laughs> invest slash waste your time and money on a little series DC did a couple years ago called Before Watchmen. Oh god. Which is a series of six mini series set before the events of Watchmen. Like how before? Like, there was a whole series about the original Minutemen. Okay. There's a prequel series about... Um, the Did I get my silhouette prequel before they killed her? Because was, I was reading the like second Under the Hood excerpt, and I was like, this lady sounds kind of interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on her. Two pages later, she was a lesbian, and it was great, and then two sentences later, she was dead. Hey... <laughs> You, if you want more of her, you can read it in uh, Darwin Cook's The Minutemen series. I'm sure it's not very good. 
I mean, that's probably, if you're going to read any of them, I'd recommend the Darwin Cook one because Darwin Cook is very talented. Okay. I mean, a lot of the people involved in it were, were very talented, but like, why? Why would you think that'd be a good idea? I mean, I guess DC owns the property. It's one of the most like successful properties they own. Of course, they're going to exploit it eventually. Yeah. But it was all prequels. Like, it's all like, didn't you want to know more of the backstory of the comedian? I mean... Don't you want to know specifically what his childhood was like? Not him specifically, no. Well, too bad. <laughs> but I like I can see why that would be, like, something they would do. I mean, because for things I love, I want to know everything in the, seer, in the in the world. Like, that's what good world building does. It makes you want to know more. That's... I, mean, I mean, Watchmen is good world building. It, it does... I guess I guess you're right. Oh, there appears to be okay. There's not only there's not only a series about the original Minutemen. Yeah. There was one about uh, Silk Spectre, where she rebels against her mother's wishes to make her the new Silk Spectre uh, Two. Silk Spectre. It's about both of them. Okay. Where Lori uh, runs away and tries to reject her mother's efforts to make her the new Silk Spectre, which is actually when what I was. When she's like fourteen. Which is what? Yeah, when she's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Which is what I was just talking about. So I guess it does have that story I kind of wanted more of in this. Yeah. Um, but also like I don't you don't need to hear like. You know, like before Watchmen, comedian six issues revealing the comedian's history with the Kennedy family and his, his exploits during Vietnam. That's not something I want. No. According to Wikipedia, it debuted to mostly negative reviews, <laughs> and there are four separate citations for that note. <laughs> and you need like a four-issue origin of like when Dan met the original Night Owl and started training with him. No, because Dan's boring as fuck. Exactly. <laughs> Dan's very boring. That's the thing. Is like I don't think necessarily that prequels are a bad idea. It's what prequels you choose to make. You know you want to see like all of Ozymandias' trip around the world, right? The thing he described in, in two sentences. Wouldn't oh. you want to see all of that? So he described in two sentences and then described again in the written interview that took place right after his monologue. Wouldn't you also <laughs> love to see that happen for six issues, though? Jesus. Uh, there's four issues of uh, Rorschach where he's in the 70s fighting crime, which I'm sure is fine, but like there's a thousand stories like that. That's Batman. No, I want I want the the origins of the, the lesbian and gay Minutemen. That's all I want. <laughs> I'm sure you can get that. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you're right. That, that's the mark of good storytelling is that people want more of it or specifically world building. Mm -hmm. But Well, I think that's why like when you look at something like Harry Potter, like... Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I really enjoyed it. Like, And it's a prequel about nobody who's in the original story. But see, that's what I want. I don't want people that were main characters in this story. Also, um, I want people that were side characters. Fantastic Beasts is, is different in that it's written by J.K. Rowling. That's true. <laughs> Rowling? Rowling. Rowling? Okay. Rowling. I just heard Sarah in the future yelling at me through the podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, whereas, you know, Alan Moore had nothing to do with before Watchmen. Well, and Alan Moore's... He's a... He, let's, artistically... Let's, picky? Let's not, <laughs> not mince words here. He's a big old sourpuss. <laughs> Although, like, the thing people, like, most associate with him being, like, a big old sourpuss mm -hmm. is his film adaptations of his movies, mm -hmm. which are uniformly pretty bad. Um, he's also a weirdo who like loves to practice magic, which is another thing people I just are just are just gonna judge him for. Like what? Like close I mean, like, up magic? 
No, like ritualistic like, magic. Like, like, he, like he's a, a he, he's a conjurer. Yeah, he's like a like a Wiccan. I don't. He's not a Wiccan, but he's like in that sphere of magic. He's not a. He's not a. <laughs> he also got. He's also got a big bushy beard. He looks like Charles Manson. <laughs> one thing I did not understand, or one thing I did not know before that I sort of found out while doing some minimal research for this, mm-hmm. is that uh, Alan Moore was in a polyamorous relationship in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. And presumably, you know, prob- probably before and and since then, you might imagine, uh, which is you know, which is I just want to get that out there because I feel like that's a thing we want to. Poly representation matters. We, we want to support poly representation on, on, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not even know until um, that... Okay, so so Alan Moore was in a relationship with his his wife and their mutual lover, Deborah. I hate that word, lover. Ugh. But then they, uh, um, uh, Alan Moore and Phyllis divorced in the, in, the, in the 90s, but they had two kids, but the two kids went to live with, with Phyllis and Deborah. <laughs> That's great. It's like if the guy who made Wonder Woman hadn't died. Can we just do a sidebar about that real quick? The guy who made Wonder Woman? For anyone who doesn't know it. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's that. Sidebar. Sidebar. Mm-hmm. Um, William Moulton Marston, the guy who created Wonder Woman, was, for those not in the know, uh, super into bondage and being tied up. And, and, and polyamory. And polyamory. He uh, also had a wife and their mutual lover. And he based Wonder Woman on the two of them. Yeah. And, I mean, and people who... You can probably tell this from Wonder Woman's current incarnation, but in the early days, her enti- like the entire basis of her comic was basically tying people up. <laughs> so I mean, basically, Wonder Woman's original origin is like elaborate fetish play for for one guy and his wife and 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 their mutual lover. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him. And what's great though is it's not wasn't just about titillation for him. Like he was a full on female supremacist. Like he thought women were just the best in the world and thought they should be in charge. So, so he invented you know, a society where they were the only ones that existed. See, it's not, it's not just some dude getting his kicks off. He's like tr- trying to make a pretty salient political point at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my dude. That's your dude, I yeah. Just, I just love that. Uh, oh, we were talking about Alan Moore's movie adaptations. Yes. And we, I, I wanted to talk at you about the Watchmen movie. Sure. Which I wanted us to watch before this, but unfortunately we did not have time. Well... We'll but, watch it at some point and like live tweet it. But you can sort of imagine that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. But Kelsey, you can imagine because you've read the 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 book now. Yes. Imagine if someone made a movie where those panels were the storyboards. Like those panels were like the storyboards. The ones in the book Watchmen. Okay. Imagine if there was a direct visual representation of the Watchmen. I don't know that that would be bad. Story. Now imagine that the person who made it was the guy who made Three Hundred. Ooh. And the guy who would go on to make Man of Steel and Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. Zack Snyder. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, like, cause, cause, because the, he does, there's a lot of interesting visual things happening in the panels. But I... How long is that movie? Oh, well, which version are we talking about? There's the, the theatrical, theatrical release, release that was like two and a half hours. There's the director's cut, which is over three hours long, maybe three and a half hours. And then there is, I'm, I shit you not, the ultimate edition, which contains every piece of footage shot for the movie pretty much. Six hours. Uh, and then also uh, inserted into the action is an animated uh, comic version of the Tales from the Black Freighter. Oh, God. 
god. Like the most Is that the version we're going to watch? The most che- Oh god, no. <laughs> I've always wanted to watch it, but it's it's like it's like it's literally like four and a half hours long because in the middle it's not like a super long adaptation, but there's a cheap looking like animatic basically of Tales from the Black Freighter just shoved into it. In the theatrical release that whole thing's taken out, right? Yes. God. Yes. But that sort of raises my my biggest point about this, which is sort of just something Alan Moore has said many times over, which is that his work was meant to be, you know, he wanted, he was interested in the, in the form of comics. He wanted to make good comics and elevate them mm-hmm. somewhat uh, and make art within that format. Mm-hmm. And so he, very spe- he specifically was trying to do things with comics that you can't do with film. Yeah. So trying to adapt his work for film is not a great idea, but if you are going to do it being like s- slavishly, slavishly? I don't know. <laughs> I've only seen that word written down before. Let's go with slavishly. Being slavishly devoted to the way the the story is laid out visually in the books is is the worst way to do it. Yeah, definitely. Also, you've seen Zack Snyder movies, I assume. Well, I I saw Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. I don't remember. A it lot played of in it. front of you. It played in front of you. Your me. eyes took you, it in. You were there. I was. I was there. Well, I was. I, my body was there. <laughs> My soul left my body for a time. <laughs> the very back row of the movie theater. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. Pavilion Park Slope. Oh. Have you seen 300? Uh, no. Okay. Are you aware of sort of stylistically yes. what it's like? Yes. Imagine if someone put in, into Watchmen a bunch of like slow motion kick-ass fight scenes. You know, this is the thing is that there's not a lot of fighting. Imagine someone put a bunch in there. Or he, not. They, I mean, he didn't like invent new storylines for it. But, like, the prison breakout yeah. is sort of, like, a thing done by a middle-aged man and, and, a, and a, you know, a more fit, fi- battle-ready woman in yeah. the book. But in the book, it's not, a, it's not a big, like, epic fight scene. Yeah. In the movie, it is very much that. I mean, they don't even do anything in the book. He turns on the, like, weird, like, screechy thing. Yeah, but what if he, like, ran in there and they, they kicked a bunch of people in slow motion and they flew backwards? No, thank you. One thing I do think you'll be interested to know is how they changed the ending for the movie. Because I guess somewhat reasonably, they thought, when I say they, I just mean, you know, the powers that be, Zack yeah. Snyder, whoever decided to, whoever made this decision. The DC they decided, people. They decided that the Mr. Tentacle Face vagina monster mm-hmm. ending was mm-hmm. not going to work on film. Okay. Um. So instead of that, uh, Adrian's plan is to set off a series of uh, nuclear explosions that are somehow designed or coded or he does something with them, it's been a while, that makes it seem as if uh, John, Dr. Manhattan, is the one attacking Earth. So it's still the same ending of, like, humanity is united against a single enemy. Just the enemy is now John instead of a big old goofy monster man. Yeah. That's not... It's not terrible. That's not terrible. It's not stupid. It... No, I actually, I, I I actually kind of appreciate that a little more than than invention of kaiju. <laughs> but I, I get the I get the feel. to me that comes that comes back around full circle more than like he kidnapped all these people to go on an island and and invent this thing for him. Yeah, because that all still plays out the same way. Just they weren't like artists and designers. They were like scientists. Yeah, yeah. To my recollection, anyway. Yeah. And yeah, I get. But the, also, wouldn't they still have to be scientists for them to create an alien species? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think 
I mean, I, it doesn't, it does, it's not the worst change ever. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's, I miss a big old goofy tentacle monster showing yeah, up. Yeah, no, end. I think it's, it's silly and I can see why you wouldn't like it, but like, why, why you would like it, but like, I, I don't, I don't like that they changed it that much, but I feel like that ending works. Yeah, and I feel like this is maybe not a complete thought, but I think that Alan Moore is probably trying to make a specific point, or not a point, but like it's supposed to, it has a specific impact that it's a big old goofy alien as opposed to like, you know, a fake Dr. Manhattan bomb. I mean, I think that if it was Dr. Manhattan, there would be like, other political implications like other countries would definitely blame america also yeah because like that's also that's just sort of because that the whole thing he's trying to prevent is is nuclear attack and yeah. what they basically do in the movie is that there's nuclear attacks it's just by john it's controlled <laughs> so it sort of doesn't work on that level because yeah. the idea is like sort of this appearance of a whole new thing we didn't know anything about i also didn't changes really the game for humanity so much that we'll team up understand how the weird vagina tentacle monster um Look up what it looks like, and you will understand what we mean when we no, say that. No, no one who has read Watchmen will doubt your description <laughs> for a second. Um, Anyone who does needs to just look it up. Yeah. Um, I didn't really understand how it killed all those people. It's, I think it's just a big thing. It just, like, crushed them? It just crushed them. And I think the, the appearance of it was sort of an explosion in itself. Yeah. It sort of, like, leveled a lot of space. I think mostly it's just a big, scary thing that, like, landed and wiped out a, a bunch of space. But that's sort of like, because the idea is that that's, that's a new thing that's, mm-hmm. you know, forces humanity to reassess our, our global struggles. Yeah, and I think like on, on the face of it, like... It... And John John is not that. John is very much a thing, there's a known quantity on Earth. And it's yeah. like, you've seen the story, like he's responsible for a lot of technological advancements. Yeah. So him betraying Earth as people, as far as people know, doesn't... It, it, like I said, it makes sense. It's not the worst change, but no. it, it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, it, it it sort of like on the face of it is the same sort of like he wants people to unite against a common enemy mm-hmm. for peace or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't quite have the same impact because of what I think Alan Moore is trying to do with the sort of different dichotomy of um, ideologies of the Watchmen and like John's very like clinical approach to like like he has to look at things from a scientific perspective to like decide whether to save earth basically and then like i think you know adrian is is sort of like we have to save earth no matter what the cost um whereas like rorschach's kind of like this place is beyond saving and we have to treat the symptoms of Rorschach's ideology is very much just about moral purity yeah and like there's no way to save this 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 world mm-hmm. we're in this just this fallen broken have- world but so the only thing that matters are our personal like beliefs and making mm-hmm. sure we are true to our own uh what's the word I'm looking for like morals I guess yeah more personal morality is the only thing that matters yeah I think that's the other thing that kind of bothered me about Dan and Lori is that they don't seem to have a specific out, like specific, um, like po- political 
quote unquote mindset or the, moral mindset. Yeah, their morality is. Um, Sorry. And we're, and Alan Moore wanted people to be able to explore the world through these different um, moral lenses. Mm-hmm. But yet, um, and maybe it's just because Rorschach's and, and John's and Adrian's are so strong. Yeah. But Dan and, and, and Laurie don't really. Their, mean, theirs aren't as it doesn't have as big of an impact. Like yeah. it's hard to really think of what their viewpoint is. I mean, Dan's is a little bit like something about loyalty and and trusting people you know you can trust or something. I don't know because he he sort of does this one eighty on uh, whether or not he should be night out again, and he's like, no, wait, I. I their their whole storyline just kind of confused me, and and because their their moral ideologies are not as defined as the other three, and even like the comedian who's barely in the book, um, like has a very defined moral ideology or immoral yeah. ideology, um, which is just sort of full on nihilism. Yeah, that humanity and life in general is such a cruel, sick joke that there's no other way to respond to it. Yeah, than by doing whatever you want. Basically, I guess Dan sort of is like meant to be sort of just a go along to get along ag- average regular everyday Joe mm-hmm. who's just trying to like navigate the world and, you know, like deal with his own problems, mm-hmm. which sort of makes sense that he and Lori sort of get through the ending of the book and mm-hmm. are still sort of OK at the end yeah. because they've not really engaged with anything on like a grand level in a lot of ways but like i feel like if that is what they are they should be more relatable to the reader and they're not it's true <laughs> but there's also yeah you're right the relatability issue is the thing i can't quite fully i can't solve it because I, I don't but I, but I think it's it's also a bigger issue that i'm able to tackle yeah i mean and i like you you said you don't necessarily have to be able to relate to them, but I think if that's the role, like if that's the role they're meant to play in this sort of like moral landscape, it should they be, should be more relatable. It should be, it should be clearer. Yeah. Like we should, yeah. Like if, if one of them is audience surrogate, then like I want to feel like they are. Yeah. That's the thing. Like you don't, don't have to relate to every character based on their experiences because that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you should, if you're, if you're meant to like identify with a character to any degree, you should mm-hmm. be able to identify with their you know, their emotions and mm-hmm. what they're going through and their reactions mm-hmm. to things. And I think if, you know, it's not working for you, then Dan and Lori, you know, it's not working for you. Yeah. I think that's that's a fair point. But I think, like, the the world building is really good and, and like, I the, the way it's structured works really well um, with the sort of chapter focus on one, one person at a time. I remember... When the movie came out, and I saw it twice in theaters because I'm a big stupid nerd, and I'll watch anything they plop down in front of me. The second time I saw it, I remember thinking, you know, this movie's okay, but the format the story is would be best adapted into is like a, a twelve part hour long HBO miniseries. And guess what? Asking you shall receive. I have Jason. spoken this into being. Because this week, um, yesterday, actually, <laughs> I found out about this yesterday. That's happening. Um, yeah. HBO is apparently signed on Damon Lindelof from TV's Lost and TV's The Leftovers. Both of which you love. Uh, I love those shows so much. I'm still working on Leftovers. 
Is he allowed to work on things that hit, don't start hit, with that? Hit, hit the annotation button right here because we're going to do an episode on leftovers at some point in the future. It's Bing. that It's that good. Bing. <laughs> we haven't used that in a while, have we? Nope. No. No. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it's, it's not nothing that's really too finalized yet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is still in the early stages. It still might not happen. But also it might. And that feels very weird to me. Because okay. A, it feels like Watchmen, the movie just happened. Uh-huh. But it didn't. It was almost a decade ago. Who would you cast? Oh, no, Kelsey, don't play this game with I me. I love this game. It's my favorite game. Do you have anyone? No, I have no idea. My thoughts are more about, like, how in a TV show you can maybe move away from the, uh, like, Zack Snyder's, like, f- fetishistic uh, devotion to the, the images of the book. Less glowing blue dick? Uh, no, you can keep that. <laughs> That's fine. But you can get more into the idea of, like, c- what it means for these characters to be former superheroes who now are like just living their lives in various other ways which is like one of the main ideas behind the book which i the movie does not capture at all and Mm -hmm. even the book leaves room for better exploration of Mm -hmm. and so in that sense a tv show like this could actually be good like and if you like if you even want to like change a few things like expand it like the last book you know lindelof adopted for the screen was the leftovers and they, they expanded some stuff in the first season and then left the entire book behind in season two, and it's fantastic. Although he's working with the author of the book in the show, where he's almost certainly not going to work with Alan Moore on this because Alan Moore doesn't do that shit. <laughs> um, I mean, the problem is, like, the casting in the original Watchmen movie is actually really good. Is it? Do you want to... Hold on. I'm, I'm going to take a second here to actually, like... I will 100% look this up and read off to you who is in the Watchmen movie. Well, I know Billy Crudup is... Billy Crudup is, is, Dr. is Dr. Manhattan. Um, he seems too small for that, but... I mean, you should know the actual, like, uh-uh. Dr. Manhattan walking around during the movie is a CGI construct. Yeah. I'm not sure that's Billy Crudup's dick, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so, um, Jackie Earl Haley played Rorschach. He's little, right? He's very little. Do you, do you know him? He played, that name sounds super familiar. He played um, Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake that happened. You say that like I've seen it. Which is, um, but you are aware of that. He's mostly played like in this and other movies, just like weird little freaks that are like shunned by society. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a good, just a good role for him. Yeah. Um, in the role of uh, Dan is Patrick Wilson. Okay. Who you, you as I I would argue from season two of Fargo can take like a boring doughy middle-aged white man archetype and make him very compelling yeah more compelling perhaps than i found dan <laughs> uh <laughs> malin ackerman is is laurie is laurie yeah is that ackerman or ackerman i don't know yeah that, that's casting that to me seems much weirder in hindsight than it did at the time if she had brown hair she actually would probably look a lot like the drawing yeah but like she was I mean, I know her now more as a comedian and a comedic actress. Yeah, I think that was probably one of her earlier it roles. It was. And uh, Matthew Good plays Ozymandias. Huh. He was in Brad's Head Revisited? Yeah, I know who Matthew Good okay. is. You sort of you sort of picture that now? Yeah, but like Ozymandias is such a Aryan-looking character, and I don't know that Matthew Good is... He, he plays him with sort of a German accent in the movie. I agree. Like Matthew Good's got the right vibe, but he has, I think he's, he doesn't look right. To physically, me. he should be more like a circus strongman, or like not like an acrobat. Because that's yeah, basically like a, what yeah. he is. Yeah, I mean, I also just like I pictured him as a very Aryan, blonde-haired 
blue-eyed. And I thought that was kind of important. Yeah. So they don't get the physicality right on that guy. Here's the here's the best one though. You ready? Jeffrey Dean Morgan was the comedian. Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's that's fantastic. That's fantastic that's casting. Perfect casting. <laughs> we, I must have we must have referenced you, can that. Can you do it again in the show? We must have <laughs> we must have referenced that at some point during the Kablooey episode, I imagine. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, he was in that. I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he's he's the bad guy <laughs> in that too. <laughs> um, um. So yeah, that's like the casting in the movie is actually pretty good, except for Rosamandius. So anyway, uh, who would who would you cast? In, in I the, don't know. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to come up with on the spot, especially. Yeah, but like I like thinking about it. I don't know. That, that's hard. It's a hard one. Yeah. They, they, they have to, it's a very specific vibe, and I'm also like I'm trying to cast it for my imaginary version of the show, which is going to like <laughs> lean more heavily into like the sort of like dingy, broken down world of the of the story. Because uh-huh. in the in the movie, everything is like you know Zach side like shiny and looks like a prop. Like nothing about it feels real. That's annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's Zack Snyder's everything stylized. Nothing ever feels real in his movies, but it, especially in this one. But I guess that's enough talking about movies and TV shows that we so, either A, haven't seen or B, don't exist yet. Will you will you watch it? Absolutely, yeah, of course. Okay. It's Damon Lindelof. I love him. He's done two great shows and nothing else. What else has he done? I will name no movies he's written. What did he write? He didn't write Prometheus. Is that the alien prequel? He, yeah, he did write Prometheus. I mean, a lot of people hate him because of Lost. I mean, I stopped watching Lost after season three, so... It's fair. I mean, you stopped watching right when it got good again, though. Mm. I, I can get stopping Lost during season three, but at the end seems... Well, I stopped it when Charlie died. I'm sorry. Maybe um, we'll revisit it someday. Lost is good. Lost is good. Lost is good. Keep telling yourself that. Mm. <laughs> I don't have to, because it's true. <laughs> I still I still wear the mental scars from that oh. summer after Lost ended. When people, I just I couldn't stop reading all the awful arguments about it on the internet. <laughs> people so stupid. People are so stupid. So I liked this. Oh, I'm glad. What? I I like sort of want to read more comic books. Ooh. Because it's like a, a form that I don't know very well, but I don't like when I tried to read Fifty Two. The Fifty Two that was not good. That was a poor entry place. So, like, what would you recommend? Like, other Alan Moore stuff? Huh. Other? I think, and I'm saying this having not read it, but since you enjoyed this, yeah. but there's room for improvement, yeah. I would suggest the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen books. Mm-hmm. Alan Moore has described them as perversely British, which seems very much up your alley. Um, and you can tell me if they're any good. I think I to, watched the movie adaptation. I mean, I did which too. Which was very bad. <laughs> that was sort of when he really got away from movies. Yeah. Because basically, like, someone sued Fox, like, for, or not Fox, Warner Brothers, I guess. Whoever made the movie. Mm-hmm. They got sued by someone who said that they ripped off um, the script of the movie from their personal script. Um, but the things that were ripped off were elements that were not from the store, the comic books. Yeah. But Alan Moore had to come in like speak a, a, during a, do a deposition about it, which was apparently very unpleasant. <laughs> and sort of like like after that, he sort of you know doesn't sell the rights to his work anymore, and also like will, does not let his name be on the movies. Movie adaptations, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is like existing characters, right? It's literally fan fiction. 
Like, there's no other way to describe it. It's, it's existing characters who are in the public domain, thrown together in an adventure. Love it. If anyone is interested in podcasts and spooky stories... Is this just and, like Recommendation Corner in general? Yeah, I'm just recommending things now. Yeah, sounds good. I like it. Yeah, we used to we used to want to have to tie things back to the, uh, the subject, but I think we just let it happen organically now. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, there's a podcast called Mabel I want to recommend. It's a podcast I don't think a lot of people listen to, which is a shame because it's really good. It's um, it's about a woman who is living uh, in a house up in the woods, and she's taking care of a an elderly woman, and she tries to get in touch with the woman's granddaughter, whose name is Mabel, and the the format of the show is um, the the voicemails that Emily Moan, the main character, is leaving for Mabel, and it's sort of it's a ghost story, but it's not really. I mean, I'm I'm only through the first season and the next three episodes, so I don't know how much is revealed later on. But the 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 thing that draws you in is not the plot. Is what I'm trying to say. Like, there's not really like a straightforward mystery element to it. Okay. It's mostly just sort of there's a lot of themes swirling around. It's got very powerful imagery, and it's just very beautifully written. And it was described to me as a uh, a ghostly lesbian love story. Okay. Which was the thing that really like. Made me go. Oh, I'll, I'll I'll give this a try. Sounds good. It's got a, it's a, it's a ghost story in a very sort of modern way, but also a very like Victorian era ghost story way, where it's just like spooky noises in the house and secret letters found in the basement and you know what's happening in the woods. Well, who is that man on the doorstep? Mm. So it's it's very spooky and fun and it's you know fun fun fun. Yeah, I recommend I recommend it. I truly do. Special thanks to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain from their self-titled album. You can get it on Bandcamp. And thanks to Carly Sussman for designing our logo. And also, thanks to Andrew Favaloro for lending us his copy of Watchmen. Oh yeah, thanks Andrew. <laughs> um, and Andrew, if you or anyone else listening wants to take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes, it would be much appreciated. Please. Thanks. You don't even you don't even have to mean it. Yeah, you can lie. Yeah, you can lie. Just say something nice. Don't lie and say something mean. That's that's against the whole purpose of it. Oh, and if you like me, I have another podcast called The Forty Ounce. I do with Daniel Dockery, a writer for Cracked.com and former guest of the Ruin My Life podcast. Yeah, last episode was really good. I liked it a lot. Thank you. It's called The Forty Ounce. It's about pop music. Um, you can find it on iTunes or SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Check it out if you want. Also, the Pitbull episode was fun, too. <laughs> Thank you. We, uh, we, we, we talk about Pitbull a lot. So if that's your thing, uh, it's the only podcast for you. <laughs> Definitely the only podcast. Uh, well, I've been Kelsey Goldman. I have been Jason Edwards. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. Boy. I thought it had a little flavor to it. <laughs> They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only
only I can mention me. Okay. One second. Sorry, future Jason. Cut this part out. Cut all this out. <laughs> Buddy, you can do it. I know you're tired. I know it's probably Thursday night, 11.45 p.m., and you want to go to bed. <laughs> but uh, hope you had fun at the, uh, the Flophouse Rip show. Yeah, buddy, just delete all this. <laughs> delete all these. Just keep on skipping. Ride that 15-second skip button. <laughs> oh, wait, you can't because you're going to listen to this podcast. You're, you're, you're making it. it. 